You're listening to Vinyl Tap, Inside the Music Industry with Michael Parisi. Hi, my name is Michael Parisi. I've been a part of the music industry for over 30 years. I've worked in all facets of the business, from promotions, marketing, A&R and artist development. I've also worked for and with major record labels. I've run my own labels and my own music publishing company, and I'm still an artist manager today. So take a seat in the room with me as I talk to some of the biggest movers, shakers and visionaries of the music industry. There'll be lots of stories, insights and intel that you won't hear anywhere else. So sit back, relax and welcome to Vinyl Tap. I don't usually throw the word maverick around too much. In fact, I use it very sparingly in describing people I've met in the business over the last 30 or so years. I believe my next guest is very fitting of that mantle. He talks it and he walks it. While it may sound somewhat cliched, Johan Panaya is from humble beginnings. Raised in working class Western Sydney, he has worked hard and dare I say it, grown organically in becoming one of this country's premier tastemakers and risk takers. His label IOU has signed some of this country's most exciting artists, from the wonderful DMAs, to the rock of violence Soho, to the dance beats of Confidence Man. Is the world waiting for his artists to take the next step? Let's find out in this next installment of Vinyl Tap. So here he is, Johan Panaya. That's the right pronunciation, am I right? That's it, that's Panaya. it. Thanks How are you, Johan? Yeah, I'm doing all right, thanks. Doing all right, just, um, you know, just chugging along, really. And you live around the corner from my office, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. even funnier. It's very convenient. When you sent the address over, I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just got out of the shower like literally 15 minutes ago, Perfect. so Perfect. it's good. Hey, let me start by um, making a couple of statements, and then we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty of what I want to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use this word lightly, Um and I'll explain as I, as I take you through it. So, and I hope you take this the right way. But um, I reckon you're one of the true mavericks of the music business. Um, you know, I've had the, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to work with and be mentored by mavericks, you know, throughout my career. People like Gadinsky, Michael Gadinsky, mm. Seymour Stein, Messiah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And people don't realize how impactful some of these characters have on, on a person's working life, as they did for me. And it's those people who take chances, you know. Um, Seymour, you know, who signed the Ramones, where no one knew what punk really was, mm. unless you were living yeah. in New York at that time, which predates the Sex Pistols, you know, took a chance on Talking Heads. He's gone from punk rock to art rock. Mm. Then goes and signs Madonna, you know. Yeah. Then you got Gadinsky, who took on the multinationals and signed Skyhooks, where no one cared about, you know, Skyhooks or cared about lo- the local music. Yeah. And then there's people like Tony Wilson for Factory Records. Mm-hmm. You know? There's international ones that I, that I knew and I was fortunate enough to, to meet. Then locally, you know, you had people, obviously Gadinsky. Um, for me, someone like Steve Pavlovich, yeah, Modular, was, was like a maverick. <clears throat> and I remember when I was doing A&R and I thought I was kind of cool signing bands like Regurgitator and mm-hmm. Machine Gun Fellatio and all that kind of stuff. But Pav, someone like Steve Pavlovich was ahead of, ahead of the curve, I thought. Mm. Um, he's one of the last, I think true pioneers in an A&R sense. Yeah, I agree. I kind of see you in that bracket. Well, I mean, fucking hell, what do you even say? I mean, it's very flattering to be spoken of, even in the same sentence as those people. I'm not sure that it's actually 
necessarily justified, but very flattering to me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. it's not meant to be. I, I, yes, it's flattering and stuff, but if you look at um, you know your career, and while it's been relatively short, mm. you've signed some artists that have made an impact domestically and now internationally. You know, yeah, I and mean, it's artists that you wouldn't normally, you know, me myself. I mean, who can spot a DMAs like you did? You mm. know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure to be honest. I mean. Yeah, we've been very lucky to like work with artists that have gone on to do great things, the things that we always thought they would. I mean, for me, you mentioned DMAs. I mean, for me, it was kind of, it was obvious, you know? Like, I was like, how could this not happen? How could this not yeah. be seen? I didn't think that it was, um, I didn't really think that we were doing anything that was like, you know, this is like some top secret shit. They just wrote great songs and they played well and that was kind of it. We didn't really think about it much more than that. Yeah, right. And what about the, the rest of the roster? You know? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Violent Soho. Who I love. Yeah, I mean, brilliant, brilliant band. Ch really changed the trajectory of our, our label. I guess they had been around for 10 years yeah. and were very, very hyped at the start of their careers. Like anything, if something doesn't take off when it's really hyped, people start wondering if it's actually good. Yeah. And then we signed them after they got dropped by their other label. I remember that because I, I went to their very first show at the ESPY oh, with Linda Bacides yeah, right. as the head of publishing, yeah. and I bought them some jugs of beer because yeah. Paul Curtis had told me about them, who managed Regurgitate. He said, you've got to see these guys. They're pure, pure grunge. Mm, like yeah, you, yeah. And so, yeah, but to, to sort of see them before anyone else really caught wind of them, you know, there's an art to that, isn't there? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, 100%. I mean, with in regards to Violent Soho, I can't claim that I did that. Of course, you know, I still. saw them like... I didn't even know who Violent Soho were until right. I was in the back of a van with like DZ Death Rays because we were driving to Brisbane right. for on like some yacht club DJs tour and they were like, you got to check this band out. They're called Violent Soho. We like look up to them so much. And I was like, oh yeah, I'd heard the name before, definitely, but I hadn't really spent much time with the music. I went and checked it out and yeah, fucking fell in love with it. And then turns out my one of my best friends, Nick Yates, started managing them. And then just as, you know, things in the music industry tend to happen, you kind of just fall into things. And it can, it can be right place, right time. Yeah, 100%. But I, I guess this, when, when you're talking about Mavericks, you also I also think about the labels that I used to, you know, look up to when I was growing up because labels meant something. Mm. And they kind of do to an extent these days. For example, you know, anything that came out on Sub Pop, if I wanted to buy something indie and rock, mm. you know, Sub Pop was a trusted label. In the same way Sire was when I, you know, yep. when I, you know, first started, because Sire always put out great music, you know. And then if I wanted my hip hop, whatever Deaf American did, I, I would buy, you mm. know. Same with Mushroom when Mushroom first, you know, first come on the scene. I, it was a, for me it was a trusted label. Um, is IOU is that what you you're you're <clears throat> sort of garnering or, or trying striving to try and and bring out? Is IOU more than just the roster? Is it? Is it? A, is it a, a statement? Yeah, it's definitely what we aspire to be. Similarly to what you were just describing, that's how I grew up as well. Like I used to go into JB Hi-Fi's or Sanities, um, and I would literally buy records of bands that I'd never heard based on what the label logo was on the yeah, back. Yes, for me, it was like Below Par Records or Fuel by Ramen, mm. um, Boomtown, and yeah. stuff like that. You know? Yeah, of course. Um, and then as I grew, got older, it was Modular. And Excel and 4AD and Matador and stuff yeah. like that. And I yeah. still, to this day, will listen to records based on. Obviously, I'll delve deeper into other things as well. But I still, you know, for my favorite labels, I'll listen to everything that they put out because I love following brands and yeah. like trusted tastemakers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and with IOU, that's definitely something that we've always aspired to do. Um, whether or not we have 
achieve that, I think that's not really for us to necessarily say. It's probably for others. But it'd be um, fair to say that oh, you are a trusted brand, you know, well, I, for, yeah. for, for a particular market to start with, because you know, if people are looking for, to be inspired by something or inspired by music. You know, and it's it's out on IOU. You're going to check. There's a good chance you're going to check it out. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd I'd hope so, and that's definitely that's definitely the goal. And then, like, we go. You know, for us, we started by throwing parties and things like that, and we've always continued to do that. And for us, that's such a big part of our brand as well. We don't want to just be um, a bunch of people, you know, in an office putting up records. That's great, but we also want to bring people together in a community in space and allow people to bump into each other and you know just see that there is this like sort of scene building around it. Sure. Um, and that comes from really just wanting to bring other music lovers together as punters, but also get together with other artists that perhaps aren't on our label as well. And just, I don't know, it's always been important. I think that it's almost like physicalizing the label. Yeah. And then yeah. we make merch and do tours. And all this stuff so well. it's, it's not just a, a musical entity. It's a cultural one too, right? Yeah. That's kind of what we're aiming to do with the yeah. label. And it's also what we aim to do with every act that we sign. Um, for us, like music is one part, but what we, the artists that I'm trying to work with are the ones that I feel can have like real cultural impact yes. and relevance. That's what we're looking for. Absolutely. And speaking of culture, it's a nice segue into my next question. Normally in some of these interviews, music-based interviews, people are asked, what are your favorite, you know, five Desert Island discs and stuff. Mm. I'm going to ask you something a little bit different. Okay. What are the three most significant cultural events that helped shape you, particularly in your music career as you were growing up? Mm. What three things? I don't know. Like, well, it could be one thing, but what, yeah. what, what moved you in a cultural sense to want to be involved in music? Mm. I remember like my first, my parents used to play a lot of records in the house. I don't know if this is like a cultural event, but it's definitely something that it's I remember. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they used to play a lot of records, like heaps of Beatles and stuff like that. So we sort of grew up with music being played in the house. My dad was really, he's a really good singer. He used to like sing in the church choir and stuff right. and like play the harmonica and stuff. So there was all, it always felt like there was music around and yeah, Beatles records were really the soundtrack to a lot of it. So you kind of grow up with a sense of like melodies and tunes and stuff like that. You know, I'm not musically talented at all, <laughs> shit house, but um, that's probably ingrained. And then the thing that really shifted was first when I was around seven or eight, my, um, our next door neighbors, um, with this Lebanese family who had a kid that was my age, but also had some older siblings who were maybe like I was, if I was eight, they must've been like 11 or 12, maybe just going into 13, like right. teen, teen years. Yeah. And also my cousins were of like around a similar age. So kind of at the age where you're just wanting to absorb everything that they do, everything that they like. So they used to burn us like CDs of like R and B and hip hop, records and stuff like that right so that's the kind of music that i was listening to when i was eight or nine or ten and it, obviously like in headphones with so my parents couldn't hear the lyrics and all this sort of what, shit what but, kind of hip-hop were yeah. you talking um i'm trying to think like i mean it was stuff like usher and i don't know biggie tupac that oh yeah, kind of stuff. yeah, yeah. Like, you know it kind of like classic stuff sure, they weren't sure. like digging deep into like yeah, yeah, yeah things but it was like but it felt very unique to me because none of my friends at school were listening to it. And when I showed it to them, they didn't really like it because their older siblings different. weren't listening to that, right. right? They were listening to, I don't know what else. Or mainstream, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. So from that point, I remember feeling this like real ownership over the kind of music that I listened to. And that made it feel more special, actually. Occasionally it was frustrating because like none of my friends would listen to what I wanted to listen to. But um, 
there was that. And then when I turned, I went to high school and my friend's older brother played in like a punk band and they were playing in some like church hall in Panania. We li- I lived in Campbelltown. Right. We got on the train and went and saw them. We must have been and like- that's Western Sydney for people who don't know. Yeah, right? yeah. And so like we must have been 13 at the time and we went to this show and I'd never seen anything like this. There was like uh, skank circles and like skank right. dancing yeah, of course. circles and like moshing and the fashion was just different, like three-quarter jeans and like um, bead necklaces that were like super tight and – it kind of just opened my mind up, and like I, we just got straight in there. Right, you thought this is, and I was like, "What this the is fuck my is tribe, this?" Yeah, right? yeah, I was like, "This is where obviously," yeah. I, and I just became obsessed uh, from that point on. And I had a couple of friends who were also into it, um, but it became pretty clear relatively quickly that I was more obsessed with it, and it kind of just like all encompassed. And then after that, it was just like, well, then it's just on, you know. Like, and I started from a very young age, like. 13 or 14, not just listening to the records, but as I touched on before, starting to look into the liner notes and figure out like you yeah. see these like the same names popping up with the became, below par records. You became logo. obsessive yeah. know, with detail. Yeah, look. yeah, exactly. So like that was probably, if, if there was one cultural event that I think like really shaped it, it's probably that. And who was playing? Um, you remember the name of the They band? were called Never Pay Retail, <laughs> uh, which is just like, you know, classic, like, pop, like, yeah, yeah. And then there was another band called Lightly Salted Peanuts as well, who were like a ska band. So, um, you know, they're, if you go back and listen to the records now, I'm not sure that they've really stood the, <laughs> the to stand up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, at the time, it was fucking, yeah, it's amazing. It changed your life. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then when did you know, when was that pivotal moment when you went, I want to be in the music industry I want to do. I want to do music. I, I want to be well. Obviously, clearly behind the scenes because you said you did, you know had you haven't got a musical bone in your body in terms mm. of playing. So when was that moment when you went? This is what I want to do. Yeah. No what? Yeah. Honestly, from when I was about fourteen or something, right? I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know how to do it, but I knew that I was obsessed with it. And like I remember, I think maybe I was like fourteen or fifteen, emailing like Stephen Wade. And yeah, right. um, the agent, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, Stephen Wade from Select Music, who was also the manager of Something with Numbers, who were a band that I started to really get into, punk pop band from yeah. back in the day, yeah. And um, also began to realize that this label, Below Par Records, was responsible for a lot of the records that I really liked, which was Kiss Chasey, right? Kiss Chasey, yes. Was, was it Jai? Yeah, it was yeah. Jai, yeah. Matt, and Mark. That's right. Yeah. And as I delved deeper into this label, I realized that they had started the label when they were sixteen. Your kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I might have been 15, but they were like 20. Right. And they'd started it when they were 16. So I was like, how the fuck they do it? did you do that? And so I would email them and ask and I figured out, you know, they were generous enough to respond to, to me and, you know, I didn't really get to figure it out exactly. It's kind of difficult, I guess. Like, I mean, it's really, int- it's great to see that like Western Sydney has become such a scene and a community melting, and stuff. A real melting pot. And it's, we could say a lot more hip hop now, but there's more mm. than that, isn't there, out there? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But just back in the day, it didn't like, you know, I moved to Melbourne when I was 18. Right. Because Melbourne felt as close as what Sydney did, you know, like it, it, it was kind of yeah. tricky. But, um, but yeah, as I said, from when I was like 14, I was like emailing people trying to figure out and piece together how to do this. I started volunteering at our local council because they occasionally put on like hardcore shows at the community center. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense to have been a young person who knew exactly what they wanted to do. 
even if they didn't know how to do it. But I knew from a very young age what I wanted to do. So you were like, I'm going to start a label. That, not really. Is start- that what you thought? Or, or, <clears throat> not, or not just I want to be involved in the music industry no matter what no matter what level. I just want to get in there. Definitely that. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. I, I knew like, I mean, who fucking doesn't want to start a record label? It sounds cool. You know, like yeah. if you like music. Of course. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to be involved. So I started street teaming, um, you know, some of the shit. We managed to get this band. When I was 17, I got this band from the US onto Soundwave. And so I was emailing AJ Matter from our school library. AJ um, Matter, that's a name. Yeah. He, yeah, I know. Oh my God. He, he didn't know who I was. Right. I think he assumed that I was from overseas. And who, was, and who was the band? They were called Socratic. They were signed to Drive Through Records. Right. Um, Same label as- um, uh, Like Newfound Glory, The Starting Line, right. stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, um, band. yeah. so- you know, it's kind of um, yeah. As I said, I was lucky to know what I wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, you, you you knew at that point, you know, in your mid teens, that you wanted to be in music, and that and then from there things evolved, right? Yeah, definitely. And yeah. then the, the embryo, the 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 embryonic stages of IOU. What, when did it start, and and when did you actually really form the concept that this is my record label, and I want to? Mm. And how did you get it? You know, how did it come to be? Yeah. So basically, when I was eighteen, like it was actually a few days after I finished high school, I'd started. Um, Previous to that, I was street teaming and sort of helping out for a management company called Melodic Music mm. that was in, based in Melbourne and managed Kiss Chasey. Is that Sam Panetta's? Sam Panetta, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it was Kiss Chasey and Angela's Dish and Stealing O'Neill. These were like three bands that I was really into. And so I was street teaming and stuff for them. And I'd come down in my school holidays and done an internship over the school holidays and people seemed to get along. And they were like, well, why don't you come to Melbourne? And is you that know, why you moved when yeah, you were 18? Yeah. So I moved. Recent? Yeah. So three days after I finished high school, I got in a van with Stealing O'Neill right. and drove. I remember because I stayed at my house that um, the night before, I think. And then, yeah, got in the van, drove down with them, and then I was here. Um, worked at that management company for a couple of years and then moved on. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So worked at that management company for a couple of years. And during that time, started managing a band called Hal, who. One unearthed high, but we couldn't get them a record deal, but we could get them a distribution And how was, was it H-O-W-L? Yes, how, yeah. yeah. I kind of got a vague recollection of that. They changed their name to Hunting Grounds. Of course. Yeah. Now, now it makes sense. Um, yes. So I was managing them, living in this share house in Richmond. We had this distribution deal, but couldn't get a proper label deal. And I guess like eventually I was just like, I remember I used to walk from our house that was on the corner of Church and Swan, or, or like around there, to the office in Paran. And when you walk, it's, like, it's not that fucking long, but yeah. it's like three Ks a day or yeah, something, yeah, like six yeah. Ks either way. When you're walking that much every day, you have time to like think about. Think, listen. Random, yeah, listen. And, think. Yeah. and so I'd always wanted to start a record label. When I was 16 or 17, I was like looking into consignment deals and like, how do we do this? And, you know, and I was like, well, if we've got this distro deal and we've got this band that's getting played on the radio, why don't we just like try and, you know, wrap it all into one? And at the same time, I'd started throwing these house parties in our share house in Richmond. We'd book bands and DJs to play, to play in house. the backyard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'd charge people entry to right. come. Yeah. And so like there would be like 200 people showing thought, up. This is fun. It's okay. great. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, well, if we're going to do that and we need to do this label thing, why don't we just put it all under the same brand? The IOU umbrella. The IOU yeah. thing. And it's just like- Is that where it started? That, from, that's from it. From that share house. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 And and what do you see before we get into into some more stuff, some hypotheticals actually? Where do you see IOU over the next few years? 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like international is a key focus for us. Mm. We've had, um, with like our new arrangement with Virgin Music, like working with them globally and the recent success with DMAs uh, in the UK where we've had like the top three album, I'm kind of like, I really want to take a run at that, you know? Right. And for us, touched on before, like one of the mm. things that we look for is not just songs but cultural impact. Yeah. But also like, I'm talking cultural, like we want to have cultural impact not just in Australia, like around the world, you know? Yeah. So like um, we have international ambitions for everything that we do. And yeah, I think I'm going to move to the UK for a little bit next year yep. and try and really delve deeper into that. And, and potentially sign X from the UK. And yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. yeah, I'd love, that's definitely, like I've got a list of goals that I'd like to try and hit sure. when, when I go over there. That's pretty much at the top. How, how tough it is it to sort of get an act going overseas? Um. What does it require? Because sometimes, you know, people see the tip of the iceberg. They don't see the nine-tenths at the bottom of the iceberg, yeah. which is all the hard work that it takes to get to the tip of the iceberg. What does it take for, say, a band like DMAs? How, how was that process? Oh, my God. I mean, first of all, of course it takes, like, you need great songs and compelling people. Yeah. Um, but then it just takes time and grind. I mean, DMAs, that is not a... Overnight thing. Yeah, right? that's taken 10 years. And those okay. guys have been going back to the UK for like, I would say, minimum three times a year. Right. And they fucking grind it out. But what they've, what they've ended up with now is an audience that is not just like London, Manchester, Glasgow. It's like they can go to butt fuck nowhere in the Sheffield UK. on a Wednesday night or something. Sheffield would be a big market. <laughs> yeah, I right. went to like, like fucking Aylesbury yeah, right. on a Monday and they sell 1,500 tickets. Right. They right. go to places that UK bands don't go to. Yeah. And pull serious numbers. That's just not. You don't just do that overnight or with one song you have to or keep two going songs. And, you and go respecting the go. market, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they and they're, and they're hard workers, clearly. Mm. And I imagine that there's not one blueprint for for all. Every act's different when it comes to overseas and overseas success. Yeah. Well, the other like we're working with Confidence Man at the moment. Yeah. And like they're having a real moment in the UK and into Europe, and hopefully we'll have success beyond that um, soon. But that once again, they really grinded it out, and I can't say like we only came in on the second album a lot of hard work was done by the um like amplifier music and heavenly and stuff um, so they're through heavenly they're through they were through the first two records through heavenly yeah um so we we got involved in the second one but like similarly they were they had been over a few times they worked they worked hard they worked hard and then they had one glastonbury performance last year and that just like it clicked. clicked. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it also up. helps to have The Edge and um, Noel Gallagher. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Uh, have, you know, as big champions. Because I, I, I saw an interview with Noel recently. He was talking about Confidence Man and how him and The Edge rocked up to their joint one night and were jamming and playing music and talking. And Yeah, you know. there's like this amazing story, right? So, however, oh, okay. So, the Confidence Man had been working in the studio with one of U2's friends. Right. And... That friend had eventually shown Bono and The Edge and the rest of U2 confidence man, and they just loved it. Yeah. So when U2 came out and Noel Gallagher was supporting, was supporting, they invited confidence man to come to the show. After the show, the confidence man get invited to this like after show thing. They all get along. And con man end up inviting The Edge, The Edge's wife and Noel Gallagher to their share house in Thornbury wow. a few days later for dinner. Wow. And like- I partied in that share house a lot. What do you? Cook it is those, a shit What do you cook? Those, <laughs> what do you cook? The egg? Apparently they cooked. <laughs> apparently they cooked like sausages 
and vegetables. And well, stuff. I would have been at home then. Yeah, least, yeah, you know? yeah. I was probably being a bit harsh. It wasn't a shithole, but it's not like you know. Sure, it's it's a share house in Thornbury. It's a share house. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there's like this amazing story because like that that house used to be the place that we all used to go and like party and hang out and listen to music and all this stuff. Yeah. So naturally, their neighbour fucking hates them, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sure enough, the Edge and Noel Gallagher, I wasn't there, but the, the Edge, the Edge's wife, Noel Gallagher, they go over for dinner on a Tuesday night. People start playing records. The volume's high. It's a bit loose. And, and they get a knock on the door from the neighbor who comes in and is like, yo, can you guys shut the fuck up, please? <laughs> like, it's a Tuesday night. My kids are asleep. I got to get up for work. This is insane. And um, they got, they, <laughs> I think it was Louis from Conman goes, um, look, no. Normally, I, sh I should use his, he doesn't use that name in the band. But anyway, one of the people from Confidence Man, maybe you have to edit that. Um, one of the people from Confidence Man answers the door and is like, look, normally we would turn it down, but we've got the Edge and Noel Gallagher here. <laughs> oh, do yeah, you right, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do yeah. You he goes, do you mind if we can just like, just for one night, like this is kind of an insane circumstance. And the guy naturally goes, fuck off. Like, he goes, you don't have the edge in Noel Gallagher. And he's like, if do. I bring the edge in Noel Gallagher out here, can we continue? And the neighbor's like, I tell you what, yes. If you bring the fucking edge and Noel Gallagher <laughs> out here right now, you can continue. <laughs> sure enough, he goes and gets him. The neighbor's like, what the hell is going on? Just like these random fucking kids that are the biggest pain hey, in my ass every Friday and Saturday. Ex, the two biggest songwriters of all time <laughs> yeah, but, you know, yeah. in, in their house. And sure enough, he's like, yeah, I guess fair enough. And then about five minutes later, they hear another knock on the door. And they're like, what the oh, fuck, no, this fucking more. guy? The guy's there, still in his, like, pajamas with a camera. Of course <laughs> he's he like, do you mind <laughs> if I get a photo? That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's wild shit. Anyway, I don't even remember how we ended up there. but um, We're just talking about international and how, how acts get noticed internationally. Is there a blueprint for, you know, every? is it one blueprint for every act? Is it nah. one size fits all? And it's clearly not. Yeah. And things like that, you know, can make or break in there, can't they? they like, it takes a... a have there been any other moments in your career where you've gone, oh wow, that this this moment has helped break this act, or, yeah, I mean, or, or helped you, especially as an as a young executive? Yeah, I mean, Confidence Man playing Glastonbury last year was like something I've never really experienced before. Um, that was just like insane. They went from they were doing all right. They sold two thousand tickets in London in May, which is nothing to scoff at. No, right. And then they did Glastonbury at the end of June. And then they came back in October and did 6,000 tickets in London. Wow. It, it had escalated that hard, that performance and the fact over, that- over, was, Is that Glastonbury, that moment that went, they went bang, next yeah, level? Yeah, because yeah, the show was great, but it was also being live streamed and so many people are at home watching that in the UK. They couldn't get in or to a new distance. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just a big thing over there. They, is, all, they all watch the iPlayer yeah, that is. weekend and it just was like, I've never felt anything like that. Honestly, it's insane. So they're set up now, right? I mean- it's going well. Yeah. If we make the next if we make the right next record, the foundations are there to hopefully really kick off. Yeah. This is a question I, I love asking people and it's a tough one too because you know, you're not a parent, are you? No. But as a parent, I sometimes get asked, Who's your favorite kid? And you've got to be you've got to be cool. You've got to be go, Well, they're all they're, they're all great. I love mm. them all. But there's always a little the, the runt in the litter that you kind of like gravitate towards. Yeah. Same thing with the roster. You know, is there one, you know, act on your roster that you kind of like have this real soft spot for, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you love them all equally like you would your children. Yeah. But there's always one. <laughs> there's always one. Yo this is an interesting conversation considering that your son's sitting behind <laughs> you. Right. So like, <laughs> I'm interested to I see how this goes. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, look, I, if I'm being absolutely honest, and I'm not trying to bitch out of the question, yeah, there are probably a handful. Because, just because of the things that we have been through together, you know? Yeah, yeah. DZ Death Rays used to come sleep on my floors, and I used to sleep on their floors when I went to Brisbane. Right. You know? Like, we when have starting done- out. Yeah. 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 We have, we've, as I touched on before, we've been in the tour vans. We've, I got kicked out of nightclubs, <laughs> got ran, ran nightclubs, you know? Like, we've done all of this crazy shit together. Yeah. Then they put me onto Violent Soho. Then we had Violent Soho. Like, I guess it's- it's a unique thing, and I'm trying to figure out how to do this. I'm 34 now, right? So it's not always going to be like this, but no. I had, because we started the label when I was 20, I've had 14 years of basically working with people who have become very, very good friends. Yeah. And so these relationships, it's not just music or about putting these records it's out. It's gone like, beyond that. Yeah, yeah it's, gone, it's social, you know, and that can be dangerous territory. And it can. I was going to ask you that next, yeah, actually. Yeah, it, it can be very dangerous territory, and I've, I've experienced that. As well, I mentioned this band, Hal, yeah. who, and like I managed them for a couple of years. They ended up leaving me. It was probably the right decision on their behalf, but we oh. were very, very close friends and that like really hurt. It stung a lot. And did it know? affect a friendship going forward? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it, it hasn't like, I mean, enough time has passed now, but like mm. I couldn't like hang out with these guys in no. the same way, that you, you know, for to, years. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so, you know, it was DZ or Violence or Her or Confidence Man or DMAs. Like we've just been through stuff together a lot. And yeah. So therefore, you love them all equally. That's is that what you're trying that's to say. You're trying saying. to skip yeah, yeah, the question, yeah. aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Love them all equally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, mate. So I love the other ones as well that I didn't just mention. Of course, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah, you've got a you've got a pretty decent roster size now, haven't you? Well, actually, it's relatively small now. Um, we've got like only four active acts on, How many? The, on the label. Four. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of um, that's proper focus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, it's kind of just the way things have have played out, I guess. You know? Yeah, and also I remember Seymour Stein, who I mentioned earlier, being a um, a very good mentor of mine back in the day when I was doing A&R in my, in my late 20s and stuff. And he said, look, he said, the one rule for me, um, which changed, by the way, he, he changed his thinking as he got older, but he said, when you're starting out with a, with a, a label or, or a roster, you can be fabulous to a few or mediocre to many. Mm. And I, that, that stuck with me all through my years. So yeah. when I was at, um, when I started Sputnik, I never got went beyond six artists because mm. I thought I want to I want to be able to you know give them all equal amount of time and and effort and development you know let them grow naturally. Is that what you're thinking too in the back of your mind? You want to? Is that the kind of thinking? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like the labels that I grew up loving actually never had that many acts signed to them, yeah. but the acts that they signed were fucking great, and it was clear that they were getting more of a push, a more personalized touch than what other labels were able to give their acts. Mm. The other thing is, is like as an independent that wants to punch as hard and as far reaching as the majors, we can't take on more because we don't have the resources. That's right. We don't have yeah. the staff. We don't have the money. Like, right. we don't have the time. It's just like, that doesn't work for us. Because it's, it's expensive to break an act, isn't oh, it? Fucking and, and we'll get to that towards the end of the uh, conversation because it's a, it's a, it's a, a big talking point and a, and a moment of conjecture in the industry right now. You know, how do you break an artist? But we'll come to that. Let me throw some hypotheticals your way, mm. right? So let's think about an act that, uh, are probably defunct, mm -hmm. or maybe they do exist, but y your favourite act of all time, mm -hmm. and they want to make a comeback in the industry in 2023, 2024, and you're given the keys to their kingdom. Yep. Johan, bring us back. Who's that band or who's that act? And what do you do? Oh, I'm trying to, th I mean, like the obvious choice, like, like an Oasis or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, but you know, yeah, like, let's pick one. Yeah. 
and like say say it is our waste. Sure, for the sake of conversation, it's a waste. Is it our waste? Yeah, yeah. What do you do to bring them back? Firstly, you got to you got to entice them to to the brothers to get back together. Yeah, again. yeah. So start with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I would assume that like I'm not going to entice the brothers to get back together. No. If they're coming to me, they've already so worked assuming, that shit yeah, out, right? Assuming yeah, they're yeah, together. They sorted it okay, out. great. Um, I think for me, the first the things would be like, well, why are we doing this? Mm. How do you want to do it? And most importantly, like, what's it sound like? There's no point coming back if it sounds like shit. Yeah. There's no point coming back if you're just trying to hold on to something. What are you offering? Are you saying this to them when you're actually done in your first meeting? It's important to me because, like, it's important for me to know what someone's ambitions and their reasons are for doing something. Right. Because if we're not aligned on that, then, then I'd no be point. like, you know what? I love Oasis, but I'll just listen to the records that you put out. Okay. That's totally fine. Right. I don't need to be involved in everything. Okay. There's no point being un- involved in something that you don't understand. Yep. Um, so that's kind of like, that's where so I So let's start. assume they're loving what you're saying, right? Mm. What do you do? You go make a shit hot record and we put it out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that simple? <laughs> I think when it's and Oasis, probably, yeah. And, yeah, and just put, put it on tour, put them on the road. Yeah, I, I guess, guess so. And they'll sell tickets. Yeah, play Glastonbury, Fair do enough. whatever you want. I love these hypotheticals, by the way. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Let's talk about, um, and I love asking this of, of many people. It's one of my things, when I, especially when I talk to A&R people. What's one act you wish you could have signed? <clears throat> mm. so I'm, I've got a few. Yeah. I'm sure you've got a few too. Like, I wish I had to sign them. So let's think about the ones that you could wanted to sign, but had no chance because you were in another part of the world. But also tell me about an act that you could have signed, but just passed and just going, damn, I should have signed it when I had the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the one, like he's probably my favorite artist. I listen to him more than anyone. We're lucky that we, we tour him in Australia. Um, this guy, Alex G, you know him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, signed sign to Domino. Yep. He's just amazing. Like, right. honestly, he's incredible. So, like, that's like if any sign anyone or have he would have been it. Yeah, yeah, just so, so good. Um, in terms of stuff that we potentially had the opportunity mm. to sign, I'm keen on that question. Yeah, it's not. Um, now, I don't, it's always, I'm not saying, when I say this, I'm not saying that like we were in the driver's seat and like, of course, like she was definitely going to sign to us and, mm. you know, it, it was ours to pass, but. It had been sent to us, it had been sent to me, and I'd listened to it, and I said, you know what, I'm not sure this one's for us. And I really, like, I think she's amazing. Um, Julia Jacqueline right. is just, like, fucking incredible. Those records are insane, and she's just amazing. Yeah. And um, that's one where I look back on it and I listen to the records, and I was like, fuck, that would have been pretty good to be involved yeah, in. Totally. <laughs> yeah, And she ended up at the, same, at the company anyway, Yeah, yeah, she? she's at Liberation. Liberation. As, as I said, um, that's, not, that's certainly not me saying that, like, she really wanted to sign to IOU or anything like that, but we were sent them music. We sent them first video, and and you, and you, and you and you passed essentially because you didn't think you could you could add value to what was there, right? Well, it was more just that um, I guess I wasn't sure exactly where it would, would fit. Yeah. yeah, and then a couple a couple singles in, I was like, oh, actually, I understand where this fits now because yeah. they sh- they showed it to the world, right? So they, I mean, they did such a great. Um, Julia and her team did such a great job. Um, yeah. and continue to do so. Yeah, that's- oh, fantastic artist. I, I love her. Yeah. Um, I, I passed on Silverchair because I thought they, right. were too, they were too young. Yeah, yeah. Even though they had, they had one of the hottest songs in the country yeah. at the time. Shit happens, right, in this I business? So. Okay, so let's look at another hypothetical here. Let me choose one. So you're giving carte blanche to turn to pivot and turn IOU into a massive entertainment company. Mm-hmm. What would you do? And it's carte blanche. So no, money's no object. Yeah. 
There's no rules. You can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> or is it too I, scary to think about? Well, like, I'm. So before we, before I came here, you asked me if I, if I wanted you to send me some of the questions and stuff. Yeah, and I said yeah, yes, because yeah. I was like, you know. You didn't what, look at them, did you? No, I looked at oh, them. Good. I looked at them and I was glad I did. Because, like, um, to be. To be honest, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I just wanted right. to work in music. You know, I know some people that work in music, it's been a massive springboard for them to then go and do all of these other amazing things. Entrepreneurial things. Yeah, and yeah. I totally respect that. That's so sick. But yeah. like, honestly, I just really like music. That's all I kind of am interested in. Do. I don't, I don't, that's what I want to spend at the moment in my life. That's what I want to spend my time doing. Right. So I'm pretty happy. And what do you, okay, so. So you don't harbor any aspirations to make IU bigger. You're happy to be. Oh no, I want to make IU bigger. Yeah, but like when so oh, sorry, had, when it was like entertainment companies, like, well, well do you want to go into like no, well, fucking, touring, for example. Oh yeah, well, we do touring. Right. Yeah. How do you, how do you like if you were to expand, you're given carte blanche to expand. Yeah. What does it look like? Yeah. Uh, okay. It's a hypothetical. You know, in an ideal world, and we're talking, it could happen in five years' time, ten years' time, or just a pipe dream that you have. You yeah. Know, well, what I'd like to start further establishing ourselves internationally, as I sort of touched on. Like, it would be my dream to have like a UK office and there maybe an office so in America great. as well. Yep. Like, sort of harking back to like Steve Pav and what he did with Modular. You mm -hmm. know, if we get a roster that's pumping to that level that it warrants that sort of stuff, and like be on the ground and start throwing parties in other markets and really investing culture, not just in Australia but internationally, and you know, go for that. That's something we'd love to do. Um, you know, there's always this shit of like, oh, festival looks pretty good. Festival looks pretty good. And we've done that a couple of times. Mm. And it has been good. It's been rewarding. But I think that's because we did it for reasons other than money. Right. If you did it for reasons, for like, if, if that if money was your main driver. You no, nah, fucking yeah. shit. It's, it's, a tough, it's a tough job, isn't it, being a festival oh, promoter right now? God. In this, in this yeah. country, especially where there's so many festivals, right? Yeah. So, like, there's always that. I mean, to be one thing that I'd, I've been wanting to do... And I hope this isn't making me um, sound like too unaspirational. No. Um, but like I grew up, as I said from before, I grew up in this place called Campbelltown. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of like music venues out there. It's quite difficult yeah. to like, well, there are no venues really. I can imagine, there's like, yes. a, there's a um, Campbelltown. There's pokies, right? There's a lot of pokies. Yeah. yeah. And there's, and there is an art center, but it's expensive to use. It's sure. not really. So like I kind of, and something that I've been wanting to explore is to like open a pub slash music venue out there. For the kids to go out there. Yeah. And, and just like and, something and, to play. Do music. Yeah. yeah. I look at like what yours and ours did in Wollongong. Yeah. Um, and what they built in that community, the one that they're from, to the point where they, they started at Rad Bar, I think That's it held right. like a hundred people. That's right. They, they started booking it. the uni bar, then they book waves. Then yeah. all of a sudden there's a music culture in this space. Yeah. Bands start coming out, They've hockey dads there, you know, it, yeah. and then now they run a massive festival. Yeah. We tried to run a festival in Campbelltown. It's called Out of Bounds. We did that the year I, before I COVID that. hit. I remember that. Yep. To like to varying degrees of success, you know? Yeah. If COVID hadn't hit, we would have went and done it one more year and saw how it got. Yeah. Um, but now looking back on it, I'm like, really, the thing that I was trying to do was bring music to that, that area. area and perhaps rather than just bringing it to that area for one day of every year, we should have, I should have been looking at like, well, wh how can we bring music every week? Every weekend. You know, yeah. and build that yeah. sort of- um, would it, be, it would have been a process, I imagine, of, of re-educating or educating people out there who aren't used to having music come their way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like a big thing was like people- 
a lot of the responses were people showing up to the festival on the day and being like, fucking hell, I can't believe it. It's, it's like an actual festival. It's not like a, it's it, the, the stage isn't on the back of a truck or yeah, some right. shit. It's like, yeah, this yeah, is an actual yeah. thing. A real thing, know? yeah. Yeah, so that was nice to hear because, yeah, there hasn't been that sort of stuff out there too often. And it's a hotbed of talent and young people and, like, that place is prime. Yeah, so I like, think so too. To it's, really, a, it's a massive population out there, right? Huge, huge. It, it caters. To, it's fair to say that it's probably caters more to sport right now than it does music, right? Yeah, I mean, like they've got the the A League team and the NRL team and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, it's big like sport culture, and I think sport's an important part of our sort of community as as a whole, right? But yeah. like we were talking yeah. about Hawks or Premier League and stuff like that, like yeah. they they can cross over. But yeah, I just love to get more music, more out, music there. out there. Yeah, yeah, which would be great actually. So I guess it's interesting. It's like we've just spoken about like wanting to put offices in London and New York, but then also. Maybe a pub in like the yeah, suburb that I grew up in. So. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, yeah, bits of both. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk. Speaking of festivals, um, you're given the keys to Primavera because I know you love that festival. Mm, You've yeah, been it's a great festival. Couple of times, yeah, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. So you're in charge of programming. Yeah. Right. Name me your ideal lineup that also has to make commercial sense for the owners who've employed you to be the programmer. Yeah. So it's going to be a bit of a bit of your hand on heart and a bit of you know head yeah. involved. It's difficult because I don't know what the budget would it? be. Forget yeah, budgets, right? just the ideal scenario. Oh, okay. You. Just don't even worry about the budgets. But 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 think about you've got to you've got to appease the owners who want to see some kind of commercial return. Yeah. But you also want to use your you know your taste. Yeah. To make it you know, to make it really cool. Okay. Um, I would think like, I don't know, Jay Z, Beyonce, Oasis, like these types of acts as mm -hmm. headliners would be great. I mean, the good the thing that makes Primavera so great. Is actually, it's not the head like the headliners are obviously amazing. They're like huge, yeah. but it's the other stages and like, the, it's yeah. the grit and like you know it's the acts that go on first, yeah, and second and like you're walking to another stage and there's like a dance tent just there and like fucking some like amazing DJs. Like the lineups are just so well curated, eclectic, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, to answer the question, I guess like yeah, like a Jay Z. Beyonce, I mean Frank Ocean. If someone wants to take another run at it, I don't know. <laughs> There's do, a freak out yeah. last minute. Yeah. Um, have you? Have you? Do you think festivals play a part in discovering music, or do you think they're just there to to showcase what's already kind of bubbling and and, and cracking along? I think some do. Um, it just depends. Mm. Meredith and Golden Plains. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, Meredith, I love. Yeah. Um, I love Meredith. It's a one stage festival. Yeah. So. It's captive, Everyone's it's a there. captive audience. It's, it's you can't go anywhere. It gets, yeah. So, yeah. like, yeah, hundred percent. And then um, internationally, uh, yes, definitely as well. You know, you go to Glastonbury and stuff like yeah, uh, that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a great place for musical discovery. Yeah. Um, Primavera, the same. Yeah, I agree. Um, and there's other festivals, smaller festivals. End of the Road, Green Man. These festivals that are curated based on like we were talking about labels. Yeah. So people are trusting those festivals in the same way. That's right. And I trust Golden Plains in Meredith as well. And even so. like Glastonbury, even though it's massive, it's a rite of passage festival for a lot of people, yes. clearly. But it doesn't matter because you, you just trust it because you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, that, place, playing. Is, that place is fucking wild. To yeah, it is. Like, I've, yeah. I know. I've been there a couple of times. It's mental. Yeah. You know? I've been there when it's been beautiful, which is a fantastic time. And I've been there when it's rained. And yeah. It's all, oh my god. Yeah. It's so, the worst experience of my life. Right. Through. I was lucky that I was hanging out backstage with Steve Stranger's trailer. Oh, god nice. bless him. Yeah. He passed away recently, and I was lucky because um, I hate to be a punter in three days of that. It was driving rain. Yeah. 
You know, you two were headlining that the Friday night. Oh, and really? It was raining so hard, but you know what? No one cared. They stayed there the entire show. Yeah, every single second. No one missed it. People are up for it there. Yeah. Hey? I mean, like, yeah, I went last year and I went this year, both times with Confidence Man, and both times the weather was fucking great. Yeah, so it's like, great when it's, when it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's just global warming and like we're all probably celebrating oh, something we shouldn't bet. No, like, no, no, um, it probably is. <laughs> okay, so let's um let's get to some serious stuff. So we'll talk about the state of the Australian music industry. What's your perception of, of where we're at as an industry right now? Just mm. you know, and it could be as superficial or as you know elaborate as you want. Where do you think we sit in terms of our landscape, musical landscape? Yeah, I think like I mean, musically it, it feels to me like it's an interesting time. You know, I think there are some like interesting new acts coming out, but perhaps I don't know. Yeah, I'm interested to see what what's going to happen as we come out of COVID and this next generation. There obviously was a moment in time where it felt like we were punching so hard mm-hmm. uh, internationally. You know, you had like Chet Faker, Courtney, Flume, yeah. all of these acts. We're still of, kind of doing it, aren't and they? still doing it, yeah. still, still killing it. But like, yeah. there was just this like thing. This I guess wave. you. To a lesser extent, you could put DMAs in that thing as well. They were there around that similar time. And there were, there were, of course, other acts, uh, Tash Sultana, whoever. Like, um, yeah, they're still doing it over there yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm kind of interested to see what this like next generation yeah, do. You've got like Royal Otis who are doing some good things. Maya, I think, has been good for a long time. Um, it's starting to, starting to really pop over yeah. yeah. And then if you look at like, I mean, the industry, that's like a different side of things because I like, talk about that too yeah I mean like labels it's fucking grim at mm. the moment it's mm. very very difficult yeah. to like break and, and new Australian grim, talent are you talking in terms of streaming numbers you I'm talking, talking about, about streaming, general business I'm talking about streaming numbers right. because that's the thing that's making it fucking grim you know yeah. like then like the, the P&Ls they don't stack up anymore yeah they don't we had like we've had artists um, you know maybe five or six years ago release albums and get good support mm. and we saw that come flow back to us you know sure. the streams are there everything made sense five years on i don't i can't profess that i really understand exactly what has changed i don't know if it's algorithm or what, whatever the hell it is we're not getting we're not in the same numbers as we as we did exactly yeah you know so you can have a song on high rotation you have the, the most played song on triple j and get two hundred and fifty thousand streams on spotify which is crazy it. right it doesn't stack up no so that is becoming very very difficult yeah, um, but but here's here's a question, interesting question. That's uh, you, you raise Triple J in streaming. There are some acts who do get Triple J, and the streaming numbers are crazy. Mm. Or the other thing, the flip side of that is, do Triple J have the same power in terms of listenership that they did say five, six, ten years ago? Mm. You know, there's so many different ways you could look at it, right? Yeah. But I do agree with you that numbers aren't stacking up at the moment. Um, they are if you're Taylor Swift or, you know. Totally, yeah. You know, you're Drake or you're Justin Bieber. Yeah. But to an act that I use trying to break through, yeah, it'd be, it'd be really difficult. It'd be, you know, it, it would look grim, but there's ways around it, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's not all, it's certainly not all doom and gloom, but yeah. it's like, it's also, this creates a really exciting opportunity as well. Now, I'm not going to, like for labels, it is tough, mm. but- you know, there's plenty of other ways to, for people to find music. So I think if you're a manager or an agent or, you know, these things, it's fucking exciting. Look at this. Like, there's this, they're obviously fantastic, but um, this hardcore band Speed from Sydney. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely fucking killing it. Yeah. Not just here, but in, uh, around the world. And they're really leading the charge of this next wave of, of hardcore music. And yeah. it's so exciting. There's and no radio to speak of. There's there, no radio right? there. Yeah. You don't like, so I think 
there's always going to be a place for radio. I kind of, well, I believe of course, that. Of course. What that is, I'm not going to suggest that I'm smart enough to fucking have the answers to that. Yeah. But it's an interesting time where people are discovering music from different platforms. Of course. And so I think like, you know, sometimes having a few gatekeepers can actually be very useful because if you break through them, you're good to go. You know, in the UK, there are fewer gatekeepers. So you get, yeah, exactly. You get through them and you're on your way. In America, there's fucking like a thousand gatekeepers in every fucking state. So it takes so long. So much radio and you got, yeah. Exactly. And it was like that here back in the day when, you know, like the power, when Triple J, when I was doing A&R in the nineties and we had bands like Regurgitator and the Super Jesus, you got on Triple J high rotation, you're selling records. You're good to go. Yeah, yeah. And you were getting on festival bills without even thinking about it. Yeah. And and you sold records. Yeah. You know, the old CDs, you know, you shifted units and, the you know my band regurgitator but you know based an album out around the concept of units they call the record unit yeah, because yeah. it's all about shifting units you know these days yeah it's hard to measure success isn't it how do you measure is it is it spotify streams i mean say you know it's grim to a band like ocean alley you could sell that two horden pavilions mm. without without having a commercial success or having massive streaming numbers mm. you know it's it's how do you do how do you define success, success. i mean yeah. for, going back to what sort of the start of our conversation is like cultural impact. Mm. That's what I'm looking for. And like tickets are a great way to show, not necessarily cultural impact, but it's a good way to show that people give a shit because they're taking time out of their lives to go to you. You know, they're handing, the o- they're handing over their hard earned yeah. money. So like, um, yeah, I mean, I actually find it relatively, it is, it's hard on, on the label side, but it's also very, very exciting. Because yeah. it feels like there's all these different ways and possibilities and genres and sounds and tools to use to help people discover your, like, you know, what you're doing, your craft. Yeah. And speaking of platforms, what platform can, particularly from in your perspective, this is personal, um, that you can't live without, mm. which would be the one platform? I and, mean- And, and I'm, I'm talking, you've got a choice between things like, obviously, TikTok, Spotify, YouTube, and, you know, and the- countless others yeah there's gaming platforms like twitch which is the one that you think we can't or you can't for i for iou purposes live without i mean for for me personally just as a music fan like spotify and apple music have obviously been like game changers right Right. like uh just having all that music readily available i mean i can't i'm not sure about what the answer is for like the rest of everyone else but for you yeah for me it's it's gotta be spotify right it's a fucking it's great yeah, it is because you can. It's, everything's at the tip of you know tip of your fingers, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. I love like it's such an amazing service. It Are is. there things that I feel could be tweaked and better about it and more sustainable for all yeah. of us? Yeah, hundred percent. What, what? What are they? What are those things? Well, I look. I, once again, I'm, I can't profess to like know no, the what, ins and outs of but things. I, but like, I'd, I'd maybe world, people should be change? paying a little bit more for it. You right. know, yeah. it's great. Like you know, we all pay. For Stan, Binge, Netflix, yeah. KO, uh, Prime, Disney, Paramount, whatever they are. We all pay different amounts and for it every month. It's a premium too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, but music, we only pay for one mm. and we get everything? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know? Like, so I'm not saying it needs, we need to pay this, charge the same amount, but I think we can charge a little bit more. Well, I think we should know? too. Yeah. And the artist should get more as, as well, that, a result. And that, yeah, that, that should be the and result. The yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um. What's the biggest threat to the music industry, do you think? Back in, you know, when, when the CD era collapsed and iTunes came in, and then from iTunes, there's all this piracy. That was the biggest threat back when I was kind of like, you know, in the middle of my career. 
Mm. Piracy was like rampant with Kazar and Napster and stuff. Yeah. What's the biggest threat to us now or in your eyes? And it could be something something coming down the pipeline in future. It yeah. It have to be what's happening now. What's what's what do you what do you perceive could really compromise your ability to sign an act and break an act? Mm. You know, I don't really I know some people have great answers for questions like this. I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about, thinking about it. it you, know? you have to, yeah. Yeah, I know, Just I know. In case, dude. I know, I know. I have to have like whenever I'm like hanging out with like I mean, Matt Gerinsky's good at Jad and John Watson and yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, the way these guys. guys are thinking about this yeah. stuff, I'm like, oh my God, man. Like, I got to fucking wise it up pretty well, fucking quickly. Yeah, I, I know. Because Jad, I met with Jad yesterday. We did a great interview and he had many answers. He would have had a fucking good oh, answer yeah. for that shit. Yeah. And I'm yeah, sure most people, when I speak to Watson, who I'm speaking to in a couple of weeks' time, I'm sure he's going to have his own version of yeah. it. But there's, surely there's one thing, even if it's a small thing that's in the back of your mind mm. or playing on your mind, where you go, Gee, I hope that doesn't get any bigger. That issue doesn't get any bigger or yeah, becomes I, a problem for me. I think people becoming too obsessed with like how to work an algorithm for their own, like for the success of their art. Yeah, I would right. hate to be in a position where like everyone's songs are two minutes and stuff like that. I mean, like, if you can get a good song done in two minutes, fucking fair good play to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And some songs are better for it. But if we're all trying to game this thing, to me, that is like kind of just depressing. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to see, I don't want to be part of an industry or like that sort of thing that goes that way. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not against the radio edit and like, uh, uh, or a streaming edit as people are doing now, but I just, that's not really what I signed up for. Right. And let me throw another curveball at you then, because if you're talking like that, what about the impact that AI could potentially have or start, is starting to have on the business? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I kind of. I kind of think it's exciting, to be honest. Right. Um, like, I'm not going to sign some AI artists or, like, go down that because I feel like there has to be emotion and personal touch. Sure. And, you know, you can't really create anything new. What? I- but do you, do you accept that you can actually write a fully-fledged song? Anyone can write a fully-fledged song with the right AI software. Yeah, totally. But, right. like, we've just spent the last hour talking about people, right? That's right. And, like, the experiences with them and all of oh, these different things. So, like, can't be replaced, can yeah, it? Yeah. So, but is AI mm-hmm. going to affect that in oh, future. I, I, it, it might affect the way people do A&R in future in the same way, you know, that, you know, when, um, you know, social, the, the social platforms came on the scene, you know, a lot of the labels looked at, you know, how many followers a particular person had and mm. all of a sudden they got a record deal. Yeah, know? yeah. I, I mean, I'm excited to see what our artists can do with AI, with AI and yeah. incorporate into their art. That's exciting That's to exciting. me. Yeah. I agree. Um, I mean... Yeah, I, I'm never going to be in a position where I'm signing like an AI act or something like that. But like, it's sure there'll be things. there'll be a record label, whether it's an existing one, a major, or a new label that is just purely about AI songs. Yeah, totally. It's coming. Yeah, yeah. And good luck to you, them. You can smell yeah, them way. I've got you know, no they, issue. They've got their Drake sounding catalog. They've mm. got their Taylor Swift sounding catalog. You know, and you, it's going to be two minutes. This is going to be a minute and thirty. It's it's coming. Yeah, hundred percent. Someone's going to do it. In fact, you know, there's probably a label that's doing it that we don't even know about. Totally. And they've got their own little playlist on hidden away on Spotify, and it's, it's just ticking over every night. Yeah, no. And honestly, good luck to them. Like, I got no issue with people doing that yeah. kind of stuff. I'm not going to do it. But it's but great that you don't see it as a threat. Like a lot of people I speak to go, "Oh God, it's going to kill the music." It's not going to kill the music industry. I think it's as you said, it's exciting. It's going to create some interesting opportunities, particularly in the creative space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Man versus robot. Here we go. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really up for it. To yeah, be honest, yeah. So am I. Um, 
speaking of the music industry as a whole, there's a lot of talk and a lot of discussion and debate about whether, you know, particularly here in Australia, a bit of tall poppy and, you know, look, we have got a really weird attitude when it comes to stars and, you know, are we generally a risk-averse industry here? And when I say risk-averse, are we, have we stopped taking risks and therefore we're not seeing a lot of, you know, are, are people just going with what's easy to, to consume? Mm. Are we risk-averse as a business? And I'm talking, you know, across the board, majors, publishers, everybody, you know, are, are, we, are we just making, are we waiting for something easy to, cut, to fall in our laps? To me, and not taking a chance on it. Yeah, to me, it feels like we might be becoming mm. more risk averse, mm. or maybe I'm just 34 now and thinking about shit yeah. a little bit more than be. I have it previously. Yeah. Um. But yeah, maybe we touched on before. Like, it's not easy for labels right now. So I know, like, you know, people aren't throwing out like the fucking crazy deals that they that some labels were a couple of years ago, yeah. but. To yeah, be fair, that be- shit was just like fucking bonkers. Yeah, and they few were probably and far between doing- now, like those yeah. crazy, crazy. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing because yeah. like that was not driven by like some no. belief no, in the artist. It was just like a dick swinging competition. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's it's like who can piss the longest. Yeah, and I just yeah. don't really have well. I don't have time for it and I don't have the money for it. Either. So like, it's kind of an easy position to be in. Yeah, that's a good position to <laughs> yeah, be in. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I mean, I'd like to think people are still out there taking risks and whatnot. I mean, like, I won't go into it too much, um, but like for us on our label side this year, we've taken massive risks, you know, yeah. and some of it's worked out. In some ways it's worked out. In other ways, it's kind of tricky to look at. Uh, and think about too much, so I kind of just don't anymore. <laughs> but yeah. um, you just go with the, go with yeah, go with your gut, really, right? Yeah, and like you know, yeah. we we went. You go into those decisions knowing what you're going into, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And you know, there's going to be pros and cons, and you got to try and figure out if there's more pros and cons, and then go yeah. for it. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, are we risk adverse though? In general. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, we could be, and I, I mean, it could translate to the political sphere. You know, it could translate to, you know, like society in general. Are we just risk averse as, as humans right now in this information age, which is just getting crazier and crazier with the amount of information available to us, the amount of services available to us? Where, like, you were just reeling off all those, you know, TV services before. It's just so much choice. Mm. But at the same time, who's making incredible compelling content where you go wow that could change the face of of earth or yeah. you know what i mean like what what's what are the game are they going to be are there game changes in the you know i do think there are yes right. i think there's always that but are we are they becoming fewer yeah maybe yeah yeah difficult to say yeah difficult to it's say in time yeah. isn't it right yeah now. i do think we are becoming slightly more risk averse but that's yeah. the world that we live in you that's have right. to look at all the fucking thing. interest rates are going through the fucking crazy. roof like inflation's crazy like you know shows are constantly cancelled it's not you don't know if something's going to sell or not so like yeah we are i think we are becoming more risk adverse in general yeah but there are definitely still people out there that are t- willing to take risks and doing great shit. Yeah, and hopefully that's sort of, you know, from adversity comes opportunity. I've yeah. always, always maintained. So hopefully this could be this so-called lull that we're going through as, as mm. a business. And we are, especially financially. Maybe it'll springboard into something a lot more powerful in terms of, you know, changing the music scene, change the way we write music, change the way we discover music. You know? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I'm genuinely very excited to right. see what happens next, you know, what's what's coming. What's What's... 
let me ask you this because we'll, we'll finish up shortly. If you weren't doing music, mm. what would you do? Surely you've thought about, have you thought about, like, I used to think about that all the time too. And I was like, going, hey, if I got sick of this, what would I actually mm. do? You know, yeah. Would I go and, you know, learn how to really play golf and teach it or do it? You know, like, what, what's crossed your mind in the past? But I mean, can you envisage your life without music? I can't envisage a life without music. Mm. Actually, that's weird you asked that question. Last night I had this dream where I had stopped um, the label. Did you wake up in a cold sweat? I was really depressed in the dream and I was crying about it. <laughs> and I think because I, I, I find, like, um, I, we, we got an advanced screening of um, MG's uh, oh, doco yeah. yesterday. And? It's, yeah, it's really fucking great. It's, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Great. Amazing shit. Yeah. Um, and, like, there's all these things that he says in the – Doco, obviously, they it's not for the Doco. It's right. just stuff that he had said. said yeah. I was like, oh, man, I actually really need to hear that shit. You know, I was lucky that I had heard it for 10, 10 or 11 years. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. That's, yeah, so anyway, that was that was great. But in that, he they uh, they talk about when he sold to Murdoch and he was really depressed I was there about it. Right, yeah, time. of course. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, they were saying like, you know, Sue had mentioned that he was, you know, it was very, very hard on him. And I think that's why I had the dream. But uh, and I woke up um, this morning and I was like, man, I'm gonna stop fucking <laughs> worrying about this shit. Like you got a good dream. You if you're dreaming and out. crying in the fucking dreams, yeah, <laughs> you freak like, yourself out. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, they're not like um, they're not particularly unique answers. I think like it'd be sick to run a bar or something like that. No, I was but, always yeah, like, you, that. Look, have you thought about it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. You yeah. always like you look into certain things, try and figure out how it works, and then you realize it's actually a fucking lot of hard work and. You don't know shit about any of that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be cool. Or also, like, you know, the sports world is really interesting yeah. to me as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Music sports sport. management. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, I just, sport is another one of my passions, you know? Yeah, so right. that would be. You love football. And we're talking the yeah. real football here, aren't we? Yeah. Real well, football. Well, there's AFL. And yeah, football. Yeah, 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 yeah. They are different. Yeah, Richmond and Manchester United. That's it. That's oh, it. Yeah, and I thought we'd get along. Two greatest clubs in the world. Yeah, well, Richmond have come good, <laughs> and Man United. They never go away. They're always lurking in the in the shadows. Yeah. One last question before you go: What's 2024 hold for you? Mm. What What's unraveling? So for yeah, you? I mean, I'm going to move to the UK. Right. I think. That's fantastic. I think. Yep. Yeah. Um. That's that. That's certainly the plan. I'm hoping to go in March and base myself there until at least August. Hang and out see, with Corda Marshall. Yes. Hang out I with Corda a lot. Yeah. yeah. So look, more more touring. We got a bunch of that coming. We've got a real focus on our management um roster at the moment. Yep. There's like lots of great records coming through there. We've got an act called Phaser Days from New Zealand. Yep. Um. She's got an album coming out. Confidence Man are going to have a record. Um. Uh, there's a couple other things that we're working on as well on that side, but yeah, more management, more touring, and then really trying to like get the label going internationally. Internationally, yeah. and I love the fact that you're able or have the freedom to sign overseas acts mm. and bring them back into this market, too, yeah, which is really exciting for you as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Invest in both worlds. Yeah, look, it's I'm under no false illusions that it's going to be easy, and we're going to walk walk. I'm going to go to London and fucking start signing shitloads of acts and yeah. all this sort of stuff. But yeah. it's not going to be easy. But if we can, yeah, hundred percent, try and that? bring someone back here. We're, you know, sometimes you get to pinch yourself and go, "All right, we are lucky. We're we're working in an industry where we love. Mm. You get up in the morning and you're doing music. I used to I used to pitch myself every day, you know, and I still do. You know, yeah, I think about it so so much. I mean, I was lucky enough to grow up in a household of, with looking up at like two very, very hardworking parents mm. um, 
who absolutely put the fucking slog in. You know, they came here with not Nothing. much yeah, and built. Because your heritage is Sri Lankan. Sri Lankan, right? yeah. yeah. They built like these amazing lives, but like you know, I'm like, I don't think my dad's passion was ever filling coke vending machines. You yeah, know right. what I mean? Of course. But he did it. He, he did, did it. For it. His kids, right? Yeah, he did it for that. And right. so like. I would have to be an absolute dickhead to wake up every day doing the job that I do and not recognise I'm in a fucking lucky position. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Fantastic. Well, Johan, thanks for your time, mate. That was fantastic. Good luck with um, IOU. I don't think you need it. I think you're going to have a stellar, <laughs> stellar decade we'll to see, come. We'll and see. it's yeah, just great to hear that you you are taking the plunge. It's a it's a pretty you know big thing to do to take the plunge and move overseas and, and try hand. That's risk. That's that's not risk averse. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I just didn't want. Look, I don't know if it's going to work, but I didn't want to get like I don't I don't have kids yet. Yeah, I didn't want to get five years down the track and look back on it and think like, well, what if I did? You know, yeah, this you is my you time. You don't to want go. that regret, do you? Exactly. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with it all, mate. Thank you thanks, very much. Thanks so much for being a guest. I appreciate it. Take care, mate. Cheers. You've been listening to Vinyl Tap, Inside the Music Industry, the podcast with Michael Parisi. If you enjoyed that episode, please go to my website for more information about any of my guests, www.vinyltappodcast.com. All one word, of course, and we'll see you on next week's instalment.